into your call. We love you and we praise you and we pray these things in your name. And the church said, Amen. And amen, right? It's good to see you. I kind of see you. The lights are coming up soon. Now I see you. Uh, it's good to worship with you. It's good to linger with you. And speaking of worshiping and lingering, worshiping really is not just a warm-up at our church, but actually lingering is just as uh, essential for the brothers and sisters in Christ that gather together in a larger crowd like this. I'd encourage you uh, to... Uh, be open to allow God to start building some friendships here, relationships here. Uh, let's just be honest. This post-COVID stuff that we've been in, uh, I think some people are just needing a little bit of help, a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of stepping out of their comfort zone to say, you know what? I was made for community. So if you want some more help with that, we are here to help you with that. We, are, we really are better together. So turn with me in a Bible with you and, and, uh, that you have, either phone or physical, Mark chapter 15. Uh, we have been in this series through the Gospel of Mark for a long time, over a year, and uh, 16 chapters, and we're closing in. And we have spent the last four Sundays on one night, Thursday night, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And now it's Friday morning. Now it's the morning of Jesus' crucifixion. And things have been building for quite some time. See, the, the Jewish leaders, they have hated Jesus for quite some time. They have been planning to kill Jesus for quite some time. And it's now finally taking shape. Their first part of their plan was to capture Jesus. The hard part of that is that the crowds loved him. So how do you capture him without getting the people to, uh, to no longer trust you and follow you? And so you got to capture him in private. And so uh, finally Judas sells Jesus out and says, I'll show you where he will be with just a few of his followers. You can take him then. So then after the capture, now it's the conviction. And this is where we were last Sunday, where the Jewish court called the Sanhedrin, it's kind of the Supreme Court of their day, in the middle of the night, a Thursday night, they convicted him of blasphemy. Blasphemy is claiming to be more than a man, claiming, claiming to be the God-man that Daniel chapter 7 talks about the, the man of God, the God man, the son of God, God the son, God himself. If you see me, you've seen God. Jesus said it, he claimed it, and he was convicted on a Thursday night of blasphemy. And the only sentence worthy of blasphemy is death, according to the Jewish court. So here's the problem. After you capture and after you convict in your Jewish community, you're not in charge you are under the Roman rule. And so you can capture him. You can convict him. The Romans don't care what you convict him. Only Romans can carry out capital punishment. So now after capture, after convicting, you got to convince the Romans to kill him. And that's where we are on Friday morning. So it's been a long night. Jesus is convicted by the Jewish court. And then after that, he's spit on. 
He is verbally and physically abused, and he is beaten up. Uh, and uh, it's just beginning. So now we're at a, a, a Friday morning. I'm calling this message Pilate's Dilemma. We have been walking through uh, a few other people in their dilemmas. And the last Sunday was Peter's Dilemma. But now let's go ahead and shift to more of a Roman context. So here we go. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. So and as soon as it was morning, what morning? It was Friday morning. They had to wait for the governor to have his latte and have his morning routine. And now it's time for him to go ahead and say, okay, who's on the docket today? That would be Jesus. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes, the Jewish leaders, and the whole Sanhedrin council. And they bound Jesus because they convicted him the night before. And then they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. We can't kill you, but we can convince Pilate to do it for us. And it's interesting, if you go to Israel, you go to the Galilee up north and Samaria in the middle and Judea down south, there's a lot of the places that you read about and they really are actually there. You look in Jerusalem, you have all these places, it's really not that large. Matter of fact, the east gate that Jesus went through to get to Uh, the Kidron Valley, then up to the Garden of Gethsemane, Uh, the east gate and the western gates, uh, they're just about a half mile apart. It's about a thousand yards. So it's really not that far. So when Jesus was taken through, he really wasn't taken miles through Jerusalem. Um, And the Thursday night, he was at Caiaphas' house. And uh, and so then you move from Caiaphas' house, which is on the western side of the old city of Jerusalem, just like 50 yards north of that is what is called the Praetorium. And uh, that is where the Romans held their uh, uh, headquarters, and any uh, court issues would be brought to the governor of Rome, and that would be Pontius Pilate in the Praetorium. And so that's where... Uh, Pilate is uh, presiding over Jesus's trial by, by, by the Romans. And so as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held this consultation. Then they delivered him over to, to, to Pilate. Here's a question for you. Why is Pilate even there? You know, again, this is not just a Bible story. This is history. And you can study these men. You can look at these places. You can literally walk through this story. And so it's interesting to know that Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. So why was he there? They didn't have to wait for him to go ahead and catch a train or get on a horse or go. Because literally Pilate lived 60 miles northwest of Jerusalem at a place called Caesarea Maritime or Caesarea by the sea. You know why? No one wants to live in Jerusalem. You know, honestly, the Jews wanted to live there because of the history and the prophecy. Uh, It had spiritual significance. Pilate didn't care. To Pilate, Jerusalem was literally a city made out of rock and a city that that dealt with overcrowdedness and and a city that wasn't beautiful, uh, a a city uh, that was hot most of the year because it's right between two bodies of water. You got the Dead Sea and then you have the Mediterranean Sea. It's not a place where you want to be. He didn't care about Jewish stuff. What he really wanted was to stay home by the Mediterranean coast. 
60 miles northwest of there. And so why on earth did Pilate come down and be already in Jerusalem on a Friday morning? Remember context, this is Passover. Passover was one of the seven feasts or festivals that began way back in the Old Testament um, to help the Jewish people remember their past and live in light of their past and look for God to do more in the future for them, the promises of God. And one of the festivals was this Passover festival. This Passover festival was a week-long festival. And think about it. If you were the governor of, of, of the Roman region of Judea uh, and In this week, you have thousands upon thousands of Jews from all over crowding into one city, Jerusalem. And then for a whole week, they are remembering that one time back in the Egyptian uh, slavery time, 1446, God freed them from slavery. So this was a heightened week of nationalism, a heightened passion for freedom So if you're the Roman governor and you literally are paid to keep the peace, you better be there. So seven times a year, he would say goodbye to the Mediterranean coast and he would basically get down to this city made out of rock that's hot and overcrowded and he basically puts up with the week of doing the Roman governor thing in Jerusalem. And so when he's there already, uh, he doesn't have the list, but basically the list is brought to him of people who have committed the high crimes. Pilate doesn't do misdemeanors. He just does the capital felonies, the the capital crimes. When you get to Pilate, there is no other person that you can appeal. Uh, He basically has life and death in his hands. So that's Pilate. He's already there. He has to be there because if there's ever a week where there might be an uprising, it would be Passover week because people want their freedom. So Pilate's already there. So they go from Caiaphas's house, just less than a hundred yards north to this praetorium. And this is where Pilate says, okay, who's on the docket that I need to go ahead and decide their fate. Mark 15 verse one. So here we go. Look at verse two now. And Pilate asked Jesus, Yeshua. Okay. It says here, you claim to be the king of the Jews. That was the accusation. So are you? Are you the king of the Jews? It's interesting. And Jesus answered him, you have said so. What is that? I mean, honestly, when you read the Bible, uh, some phrases deserve some questions. Couldn't Jesus have been a little bit more direct? And the answer is yes. Matter of fact, before this, Jesus was very direct After this, Jesus is very direct. So what is this? You have said so. Again, every time you see a phrase or you study a passage and you wonder, what does it mean? A couple things for helpful interpretation. Stick with that passage and look at what is before and after. Was Jesus always this indirect? The answer is no. But then also look at the other scriptures. Like over here, you have Luke 22 and John 18. Uh, and you have Matthew 26, you have other passages that deal with this uh, Thursday night and, th- and this Friday that led to his crucifixion. Matter of fact, let me give you a little bit of John 18. So this helps thinking what was Jesus saying? You have said so. What Jesus is saying, and Mark is, is summarizing, Mark is, is reviewing. What he's saying is, 
Yes, you have said so, but it's more than that. I'm not going to just say I'm the king of the Jews. I'm not the king of the Jews the way they want me to be, and I'm not the king of the Jews the way you think I'm being accused of. Notice in John chapter 18, this is what Jesus says uh, uh, as Peter, as, as Pilate, and, and Jesus continue to dialogue. So am I a Jew? I mean, why am I dealing with a religious accusation? I'm not one of your people. Uh, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. So what did you do to tick them off? That, that's kind of what Pilate is trying to get to. What have you done? And this is what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. What have you done? Are you their king? Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, but it's so much more. I am king, but I'm way more than the king of the Jews, and I'm not like the king of the Jews they want me to be because my kingdom is not of this world. It's interesting, too. So why is Pilate even asking the question, are you the king of the Jews? If you were here last Sunday, we talked about what Jesus was convicted of by the Jewish court. It wasn't you claim to be our king. It wasn't. It was you claim to be God. So the issue in the Jewish conviction was blasphemy. The issue for this Roman conviction is treason. So the, the, the Jewish court knows this. Listen, Pilate doesn't care if one of our own has a God complex. Are you bothering me uh, to, to, to listen in on your religious Jewish skirmish? Who cares if he thinks he's God? Is he causing trouble? That's what I want to know. And so the Jewish court knows, you know, we can't play the God card, but we can play the treason card. He claims to be king. See, see, Pilate's job was to make sure there was only one king in the region, and that would be Caesar, okay? So when someone comes to Pilate, he better speak Pilate's language and says, there's someone who wants to overthrow Rome. That is what Pontius Pilate was concerned about, because anyone that does an uprising, Pilate just might lose his job if he doesn't squelch it before it gets too too, too, too much. So let's go back now to verse three. So, and notice this, and the chief priests accused him of many things. So, so the chief priests are there and they want to make sure this thing rolls around, uh, rolls along. So you claim to be king of the Jews? Uh, uh, yes. And, and he wants to overthrow Rome and he doesn't want to just be a little king. He wants to go ahead and be the king in this region and beyond. Notice again, a little bit of cross reference here. Uh, let me read this and we'll get back to it. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? Do you realize what they're saying? They're saying that you were trying to overthrow Rome. Will you at least try to defend yourself? See how many charges they bring against you? But look at verse five. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Do you have your Bible? Again, that's one of those phrases, you know, years from now, you're going to read your Bible, hopefully, and I want you to remember when you circled it, because we're going to unpack this. Why was Pilate amazed? Hold that thought, but let's, let's get first to what the chief priests did when they accused Jesus of many things. Hear me, none of what they brought to Pilate was spiritual. 
None of it was blasphemy. None of, none of it was he claims to be more than a man spiritually, okay? Notice back in Luke 22, Luke 23, uh, he, uh, uh, we, we hear these accusations. Notice what Pilate is hearing, okay? Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate, and, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation, and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Well, they didn't bring that up Thursday night, but they're trying to talk Pilate's language and saying that he himself is Christ. Who cares about that? A king. Pilate cared very much about that. They were urgent, saying he, he stirs up the people. Pilate really started listening on this one. Listen, you know, no one stirs up the people on my watch teaching throughout all Judea in the south and from Galilee to the north. Throughout all of Israel, he's stirring up the people against Rome. Well, Pilate says, okay, uh, that's a big deal. But notice, again, go back to Mark chapter 15, so that the peop- so Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. So why was Pilate amazed? It was because Pilate's been a, a governor for many years. Matter of fact, he's a governor for a few more years after this. Well, I'll get to his history in a minute. But this was the first time someone was, was convicted and was being tried for a capital offense of which Pilate can say, you live or you die. This was the first time someone did not defend themselves. Pilate was used to people pleading with him. Oh, this is unfair. I'm not who they say. They're they're trying to trump up all these charges. And I'm innocent, I tell you. Jesus did none of that. Pilate was used to people groveling. Pilate was used to not just being so compliant. But Jesus was not making a defense against Pilate. and, And Pilate... I would say not only was he amazed, maybe a bit offended. Do you know who I am? Do you know that I have your life in my hands? I mean, I'm not sure who you think you are, but do you know who I am? I am the one in power here. And at least try to convince me before I convict you. Before I kill you. See, again, Pilate realized, now listen, Yeshua, uh, it doesn't really matter what they convict you of. They're not in power. I am. So again, this is me and you. Convince me that you should be spared, right? And so Jesus is quiet. Grace Point and the rest of you listening in, you know why Jesus was quiet Friday morning, it's because he wasn't quiet eight hours earlier, Thursday night, in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was pleading for his life. Abba, Daddy, I don't want to die. I don't want this cup, this calling, to be what I I'm about to experience. Abba, is there any other way to please you? Is there any other way to serve them? For hours, Jesus, in a sense, in the dirt, pleaded for his life. Then after he heard from his Abba, I love you, but there really is no other way. 
Jesus knew that, but he, like we at times, need to be reminded of the truth. Sometimes you need to go to your brothers and sisters and say, will you just, will you just remind me <laughs> that I'm not crazy? Will you just remind me that there really is a, a, a heaven higher than here? And so he heard that from his Abba. And uh, in a sense, that is when he stopped pleading. He realized Pilate wasn't the one in power. His father was. And he didn't go to the cross kicking and screaming. He didn't go begging. He came to die And he was assured of that eight hours earlier. Here's something else. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, all the way through. Let me just get a little bit more of New Testament theology uh, that is uh, the foundation of the history, the story that we're unpacking uh, on, on a Friday. See, Jesus knew he must die for you and I. There is no other way for sin to be solved, for separation to be reconciled, than a perfect substitution, a sinless sacrifice on a cross for you and I. And so Jesus realized, you know what, either I defend myself now before Pilate, or I allow myself to be crucified, I experience the resurrection so that I can defend others later. And that's what he did. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, Paul is writing back after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. How do we benefit from that? There's no condemnation. We're forgiven, born again, adopted in. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, in the Messiah, in Jesus. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who raised. Who is at the, now the right hand of God in heaven. And here it is, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus didn't defend himself before Pilate so we can defend you. When he says, you know what? Yeah, I died for him. Yeah, I died for her. Yeah, this one's mine. This one's forgiven. This one has accepted me as Savior and Lord. Good stuff. So let's get back to the story now. Uh, and let me just give you another life principle. You, again, you read the scriptures, you read the stories, and you look at the principles, and some of the principles kind of just uh, keep coming up in the Bible. Let me just give you something that is true back then and is true today for you and I. Whatever gets your attention gets you. I've said that before in other stories and other scriptures. Here it is again. What does that mean? Whatever you are consumed by, controls you. You can literally, well, what consumes me? Well, what controls you? How do you make your decisions? What is, what is the dominant influence of your life? Those are very personal questions. And I'm going to give you this morning three examples of this where focus, in a sense, determines feet. Focus determines behavior. And here, here's the first one. You might want to write this down because moving beyond this Sunday morning, I would encourage you to keep these three focus options in mind. And I hope you and I would choose the third. Here's the first one. Pilate's focus was the Jews. See, Pilate was in a dilemma. The guy's not guilty. 
I don't want his blood to be on my hands because he had to sign the death certificate. He had to sign, yes, crucify him. He didn't want to do it. Matter of fact, he was trying to get Jesus off time and time again. So why did Pilate say, kill him, crucify him? It was because of the Jews. Now, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. I'm going to bring up Bar- Barabbas, and, uh, and, but we're going to get to Barabbas in a little bit. But the focus of this is what fueled Pilate's decision to execute this Jesus? Let's take a look at Mark 15, verse 12. This is towards the end of, of, of the 15 verses we're going to look at this morning. But let's take a look at this. But Pilate's focus was, was the Jews. And here's 15, 12 through 15. So Pilate again said to the Jewish crowd, then what shall I do with this man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, kill him, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? I want you to sense the the dilemma that Pilate's in and, and the disagreement that Pilate is experiencing. He doesn't deserve to die. So why did Pilate sign his death certificate? But they shouted all the more, crucify him, verse 15. So Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd. See, that was Pilate's focus. I have to keep the peace. You know, I like to live on the Mediterranean coastline. I like the perks of being the governor of this region. I like the 401k. I like the health benefits. I like to be the man with the wreath on my head. And if I can't keep people in line and I can't keep people paying their taxes, then I'm going to lose my job. And so his focus was the Jews. And to satisfy the Jews... He did what he knew was not right. More specifically, on your outline, not only was Pilate's focus the Jews, but more specifically, his primary influence was keeping the peace. Because his focus was the Jews, his primary influence was, you know what? I just want people to stay calm. And I'm going to push pause just for a second, and I'm going to push release Uh, because we got to get back to the story. But today, there are still some people, their primary influence, what, what, what fuels their behavior is just keeping the peace. Do you know some people like that? I do, some people very close to me. Nothing is worth raising my blood pressure over. Nothing is worth potentially raising a sensitive issue. Nothing is worth rocking the boat. Nothing is worth having a confrontation conflict. Listen to me. Many marriages have dissolved because of the primary influence of keeping the peace. Many businesses have devolved, dissolved because people just said, I just can't bring it up. I wish someone else would. This was Pilate's dilemma I must keep the peace. And if that is your primary influence, you are making a mistake, just like Pilate knew he was. So primary influence was just keeping the peace. You know, you study Pontius Pilate. It's interesting. That was his job, keep people paying taxes, keep people staying calm and controlled. uh, Because if there ever was an uprising that got to Caesar, Pilate would lose his job. And that's exactly what happened. Some years after Jesus' resurrection, Pontius Pilate was still governor, and Eusebius, E-U, 
Eusebius uh, was one of the historians of the first century. He writes about Pontius Pilate's firing and suicide. And so uh, 45 miles north of Jerusalem, which is kind of between uh, Caesarea Maritime, Caesarea by the Sea, and Jerusalem, there's a place called Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is right in the middle of Israel. It's in the region called Samaria. There's three regions of Israel. You've got Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. And in Mount Gerizim, there was an uprising of Samaritans. So much so that Pilate had to uh, send some cavalry units into it, but he was too late. Roman got word, and Rome fired Pontius Pilate. And a little while after that, history records Pontius Pilate committed suicide. And the reason for that is, you know what? I lost my identity because I lost my job. If I can't be governor, then I'm going to end it all. Boy, that's another side sermon, isn't it? Where's your identity? If your identity is anything that the world can take away, you really need to rethink that. Who or what is your rock? That's not an empty metaphor in the Bible when Jesus says, let me be your rock. Some of you, your career is your rock. Some of you, he or she is your rock. And that's putting way too much pressure on them And your life is way more fragile than you think it is. And so Pontius Pilate lost his identity, lost his job, chose to lose his life. May that not be repeated as sadly it often does. Let's get back to Mark. Take a look at Mark 15, 6 through 8. So now at the feast, let's get back to this now related to how this Friday morning trial in the Roman court is playing out. At the feast... Uh, he used to release for them. So who's the he and who's the them? Pontius Pilate used to release to the Jewish community one prisoner for whom they asked. That was more of a, uh, of a practice that Pilate put in place. Verse 8, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do this year as he usually did for them every year. Let me tell you something interesting about this story. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have the recording of Barabbas in all four. It's really interesting. You don't have this story uh, of this uh, releasing a prisoner that Pontius Pilate did anywhere outside of the Bible. Matter of fact, we have Roman records. We have extra outside biblical records that really authenticate and give credibility to, to so many biblical stories. But this one, it's only in the Bible. So does that dilute the integrity of this thing? If that was always the case, well, the Bible says so much, but there's no accountability, no credibility in history anywhere, I'd have a big problem with that. But this is one of the few times that something is recorded like it is, and outside of the Bible, there's no support for it. Why? Well, some people would say, Pilate would never do that. And ever Pilate wanted to do that, Rome would never approve it. What are you doing releasing rebels, releasing prisoners? Let me give you my thoughts on that. Remember context. Pilate was not the governor. He was one of many governors. I mean, Rome had this empire that was broad, and they put governors everywhere. Remember context for this governor in this place. 
and this week, Passover week, where there's a heightened sense of nationalism. I think Pilate came up with this practice to keep people calm by just giving them a bone. I can't free all of you. I need you to pay your taxes. I need you to not cause any problems. And so once a year, when you're looking back at how your God set your people free, just to keep you in line, I'll give you one of yours back. So he's been doing this for years. And now the people come to him and say, you know what? You're going to do it again, aren't you? Yes, I am. Just stay calm. I think Rome didn't care. You know what, Pilate? Whatever. You keep people calm. Just give them one of their people. You'll probably arrest them again. You can kill them the next time. I think Pilate came up with this, and that's why it's not in the Roman records. I think Pilate came up with this, and it was a perfect plan. But here's the deal. So Pilate was smart. Okay, I'm going to do this every year. So I'm going to give one of the prisoners back, and I don't want Jesus to be executed on my watch. So his, his brilliant plan was, I'm going to do what I've done every year, and this year I want it to be Jesus. Make no mistake, Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus. He wanted Jesus to be given back. He knew he was not worthy of the crucifixion that just might happen. Um, so he offered the, the release of, of Jesus. And uh, so let's, let's keep going here a, a little bit. So take a look now at verse 9. Uh, and he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Notice that. Hey, I have an idea. Why don't, why don't you get this Jesus back? For Notice this in verse 10. For Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. Man, that's a verse to pause just for a bit. Pilate knew that Jesus wasn't trying to create a Roman uprising. Pilate saw through all of these accusations by these jealous Jewish leaders. Pilate saw, listen, I know what you're doing. The crowd likes him. That's why you're doing this in such a hurry before they figure out what's going on. And you hate him because you're losing your power and your position. For he perceived that he was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. And I think this is one of the reasons why I think Pilate saw Judaism as superficial at best. And here's why. I think Pilate, when he saw how they were envious of Jesus and they were willing to kill their own, I think Pilate said, you know what? You take away all your religious clothes. You take away all your religious practices. (laughs) You're just like us. We kill our own too. Most likely, I, I don't know, but man, Roman was a rough place to rule. There was killings all the time. They killed their own to step over anyone they had to to stay in power. So Pilate's looking at all their religiosity and said, you know what? There's no difference between you and I. You can pretend you're different. When it comes down to it, we're the same. Does that make sense? Here's the challenge with that, Grace Point Church and the rest of you that are listening. Today, the world is looking and wondering if there's any difference between you and they. 
Sure, you wear religious clothes and you wear religious jewelry and you do religious things. But when it comes down to it, are you as, are you as self-focused as the world is? Do you step on people? Do you take advantage of people? Do you gossip about people just like everybody else does? See, God's called us to be different. And here's the deal. God's called me to be different. This is where God humbled me this week. You see me up front. Listen, it's not that hard to have the respect of people who only see you one morning a week. It's a little bit different when they see people like me, pastor people walking their dog, driving their car, paying their taxes, all of that. I wish I was as consistent as many of you believe me to be. I long to be the salt and light in tough situations so the world would say there is something different about you. You're not just like everybody else. So let's you and I ask God's power and presence in our lives so that when the moments like this come up, there's a difference. Does that make sense? I had a conversation with one of the men of our church this week. He's a good friend. He's been a part of our church for a long time. You know, sometimes he asks for counsel. Sometimes he asks for prayer. Sometimes uh, we, 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 uh, we just talk. In this time, he just said, you know, Bob, I just want you to remind me that I'm not crazy. I'm living for him and not for me. I'm living for him, not for them. And I just need to know from someone that I'm not crazy. And it was my privilege to tell him this past week, you know what? You're about as crazy as me. And, uh, and when you live for a different drummer and you spend your money, you spend your time, and you treat people differently than what most would do, you're going to feel crazy. Do you realize when people saw Jesus dying on the cross, they really thought he was an idiot. He had good intentions. But I guess the good do die young. He had so much going for him. So it hurts me that today there's some pilots around me and around us. <laughs> yeah, all your degrees and all your religiosity. There's no difference between you and me. Food for thought. Let's go to verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Notice who is influencing who. Pilate was trying to influence the crowd. Hey, guys, how about Jesus? And they're thinking about it. Well, yeah, you know, he's done a lot of things, a lot of good things. He's fed a lot of people. He's done a lot of miracles. He really teaches well. It's interesting, but the chief priests stepped in. They weren't about to lose Jesus. 
They already played the Judas card. They already were able to capture him in private, go through their trumped-up trial in the middle of the night. They need to get this done because if Pilate lets Jesus go, they're probably thinking, we won't have another opportunity. And so when the crowd's thinking whether or not they should ask for Jesus, the chief priests step in and they say, no, keep your eyes on him. Don't get your eyes on Barabbas. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. It's interesting. Who's Barabbas? We don't know much about Barabbas. We know some about Barabbas. Let me give you what we know. Back in first century culture, Roman was in charge and Jews hated it. Jews wanted to be free. They celebrated that. They hoped for that every single day. Most of the people in the Jewish community, they hated the slavery and the oppression to pay these taxes and put up with these Roman soldiers who were abusers, if you know some of their history. Uh, Most of them, I would say, were passive resistors. They didn't confront the Romans, but, but they were passive resistant. But then you had some people in the Jewish community were more aggressively resistant. They were called zealots. And the zealots didn't just sit back and let oppression happen. They were the ones that, that were the assassins. They were the ones who were the organizers. They were the ones uh, that, would, uh, that would take a soldier or take a Roman officer or take a Roman sympathizers like the tax collectors and they would kill them if they could. They were like the guerrilla warfare people, yeah? Barabbas was one of the lead zealots of the Jewish community. He didn't just passively resist. He was one of the ones that said, I'm gonna go ahead and take as many as I can when I can. Notice this. So again, the chief priest stirred up the crowd. Now let's get back to verse six and seven. This is where we get some of the context here. Now, at least at at this Passover feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. We talked about that. And among the rebels in prison, so we know he was a rebel, and we know he was in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection. This is Barabbas. Boy, there's a lot there. He was a murderer. He was a rebel. He was a zealot. He was one of these aggressors. And notice what it says. He committed murder in the insurrection. What insurrection? I don't know. It's interesting. Mark writes this gospel, and he assumes that his original readers knew what he was talking about in the insurrection. It's kind of like today. Remember the Alamo, uh, uh, or remember 9-11, or, or remember the pandemic, right? I mean, honestly, Things are going to be written in our history, and you don't have a need for a lot of explanation because people lived it. They knew about it. Does that make sense? So somewhere there was an insurrection, the insurrection, and Barabbas killed a few before he was caught. And so Barabbas literally was supposed to be crucified in the middle of two other criminals on Golgotha that afternoon. He was on death row. He was supposed to be crucified because he was not taking this oppression lying down. Does that make sense? And so again, uh, 
Barabbas is on trial. Jesus is on trial. And Pilate says, how about Jesus? And before they can decide, the chief priest says, no, choose Barabbas. Here's where I want to go with your outline. Remember, Pilate's focus was the Jews. He had a dilemma, but he was influenced because his focus was on pleasing the Jews and not causing any conflict. The people's focus was the Romans. And here's how this played out. Here's how I think this played out. The chief priest says, no, choose Barabbas, set him free. Because, think about it, who has done more for you? Remember, this is Passover week. This is a week for heightened patriotism, heightened longing for freedom. Hey, crowd, how many Romans has Jesus killed? Zero. You know, he's taught good things. He's loved so much. But yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to say that freedom from Roman oppression was a top priority for him. But at least Barabbas has tried to go ahead and do something about the abuse that we've lived under our entire lives of the Romans. Do you get where I'm going? So the chief priests wanted Jesus killed, and it was kind of a soft sell. You know what? Choose Barabbas. He's done more for you. So on your outline, you might think this through. Where Pilate's primary influence was keeping the peace, the people's primary influence was culture. And this is where I'm going to go, and this is where I'm going to stop preaching and start meddling a little bit. They were undecided which one to release, which one to execute. And then the chief priest stepped in and told them what to do, influenced them with their decision. Do you get that? You know why? It's because in the first century, the chief priests were the cultural influencers of their day in their community. In the first century, whatever the chief priest said was right. Whatever they said not to do was wrong. The chief priest did not just dictate religion. They literally dictated the, the, the living, uh, the, the, the choosing throughout the community. What to wear, what not to wear. What is right, what is wrong. What to do, what not to do. And so when they're I would call cultural icons said, choose him, don't choose him. This is right, this is wrong. They went with culture. Listen to me, every generation, it's the same. Every generation is cultural icons. It has sure shifted from the chief priest, right? Uh, 70, 80 years ago, the pastors... The, the religious leaders were more honored than they are today. 70 years ago, the Bible was seen as truth by many. Today, it's seen as hate speech. It's seen as out of touch. And now other cultural icons, other books of relevance, other podcasts, whatever has taken the place of credibility for many. My, my challenge for you is this. 
When you're deciding between Jesus and Barabbas, when you're deciding to have sex or not, when you're deciding to argue or not, or to do this or not, who's influencing you? Are you making up your own truth? Are you letting other people tell you the truth? Or are you letting Jesus Christ remind you of the truth? We are living in a day where the cultural icons of the day are not the same cultural icons of then, but they're just as loud. And you're making decisions. You have dilemmas. Pilate's dilemma was solved when he said, I just need to keep my job. The Jews' dilemma was solved is, who's done more for me lately? How do you determine your sexuality? How do you determine your integrity? How do you determine your morality? Make no mistake, the cultural icons of the day are screaming at you to trust them and do what they tell you. We need to be careful with that. So the primary influence were the cultural icons of their day. Well, let's wrap this up. So again, the last few verses here. Take a look at verse 12 through 14. And Pilate again said to them, then, so he's, he's disappointed. Ah, dang it. They, I see what's going on. I don't know if they see it, how much they're being controlled by these envious chief priests, but they're about to let an innocent man die. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again. My guess is they're not sure what to do. So they look over the chief priests. The chief priests want to make sure. Eyes here, eyes here. Look, look, listen, listen. Let me tell you what to tell him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they cried it again, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? Don't listen to them. Listen to yourself. Listen to me. What has he done? Didn't work. And they shouted all the more, crucify him. One last focus point. One last primary influence. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. On your outline, you want to write this down. Pilate's focus was the Jews. The people's focus was the Romans. You know Jesus' focus Both. He chose to do what he did because he loved them both. Jew and Gentile back then and today. Again, this is where I'm going. So take a look at verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, that was his focus, primary influence, he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus. We'll talk about that in a couple of Sundays. Scourging was, I'm going to, I'm going to get you as close to death as possible. I'm going to pull you back because that's too fast. I'm going to kill you slow. We'll talk about that. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified. So what did Jesus do then? We know what he did. He did not go kicking and screaming. He did not go arguing. This is not fair. I don't deserve this. Is there any other way? He chose to carry the cross and be crucified. Make no mistake of that. He was delivered over, and he was the first one that said, let it be so. 
John helps us with that. No one takes Jesus's life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So his focus is, I'm about to do for Jew and Gentile because I know it must be done. So that was John 10, 18. Last verse, and I want to pray with you. Take a look at 1 John 4. His primary influence was love. Grace Point Church, we have a lot of lists. We have a lot of mission uh, uh, descriptions of our church. May love always float to the top. Every decision you make, every decision collectively we make as a church, what does love look like? May we be known by our love. And that is what Jesus was known for, and that is what fueled him as his primary influence. Take a look. Uh, 1 John 4, 9, 10, 11. Uh, last verse. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Love was seen when Jesus chose to be crucified. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that you love God, that's easy. I mean, who wouldn't after what God's done for you? No, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us while we were still sinners, rebels, running in a different direction. But that he loved us, and then he sent his son to be the the perfect sacrificial substitution. Churchy word, propitiation, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us that way, and we call ourselves followers of him, we also ought to love one another the same way. May our focus be on the needs of others and may our primary influence be the love that God loved me with and the Holy Spirit that is fueling my life. May it spill over to the people at times I don't even like. You bow your heads, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have, not just to learn about historical stuff, Jerusalem stuff, not so we can focus on the decisions other people have made, for good or for bad. I pray, God, that we would have this moment and we won't miss it, that God We want you to be our primary influence. And we want love to win more in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would take the crucifixion and the resurrection very personally. Because we were part of the Jew and Gentile passion that Jesus had when he willingly went to the cross to die for the sins He did not make, but he made a way for us to be forgiven so we can have a home in heaven and have the Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, God, for this church and this opportunity to respond to you humbly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're still going to be on a Friday journey next Sunday, and I invite you to come back. We're going to kind of dive into some more theology around this whole thing and then take the story a few more steps. Um, But I have actually one last screen. I stopped. Oh, there it is. It's still there. There it is here. I I did this for the first service. Uh, The last couple years, 
Rhonda and I, my wife, we have postponed taking a bunch of people from Grace Point Church back to Israel. And the reason why we postponed this trip is because uh, until recently, you had to get tested here and then in Israel. And if you go to Egypt and in Egypt, and if you're testing positive, even if no symptoms, you are quarantined. And I wasn't about to go with that possibility. So now that all the mandating testing is over, now that there is no possibility of quarantine, uh, we want to take a bunch of people from Grace Point to the Holy Land. And so um, if you are interested, you know, when I talk about the Kidron Valley, when I talk about Caiaphas' house, when I talk about the, the Praetorium, when I talk about the, the Mount of Olives, when I talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, when I talk about the Sea of Galilee, when I talk about Capernaum, all these places, they really are there. If you want to just see them, Google them. You can do that. Just Google them and click images. But if you want to stand where it happened, you want to float in the Dead Sea, uh, you want to linger where Jesus spoke and where the Old Testament prophets uh, displayed their faith. Uh, it is a life-changing trip. I have no time to go just be someone's general tour guide. Uh, but I want to make the time to bring some of you with Rhonda and I to let you have an experience with Jesus Christ where he took people to teach people in specific places. I want to take you there. So if you want to go, we have some more spots, but not many. And we have people outside of the church that are saying, can I go? I've told them that I'm waiting because I want to give Grace Point Church the first shot because I'm your pastor. I'm not theirs. And so, but if there is room for them, they get to come. And uh, so, matter of fact, I said yes to one yesterday who really wanted to come. And so I said yes. And uh, so if you want to go, there it is. Uh, it's on our website. Uh, you can go to gracepointsd.com, click on upcoming events, and then click on Israel and all the a complete itinerary with all the hotels and everything there and an Egypt extension. If you fly all the way over there, you might as well go ahead and go a few miles southwest and uh, take a look at the Nile River. That is still there too. And uh, so pretty cool stuff, all right? So, okay, no more Israel. Now let's get back to you and I responding to Jesus the Christ. Have this moment as Chachi leads you in worship. And uh, wherever you are experiencing a dilemma, a decision, listen to him. Let him guide you this morning. God of Abraham you're the God of covenant, the faithful promises. Time and time again, you will prove it. You do just what you say. The storms may come and the wind may blow out in vain. Stay fast and then my heart your faithfulness to me. 
Let's sing.
right, Grace Point Church, could you have a seat for just a minute? I have a few items to share with you. Um, number one is uh, Discover Bible Reading Journals. Do you remember those? Uh, I, I made an announcement that uh, your books were ready, and some of you came back to me and said, I'm, my book wasn't ready, and I apologize for that, but they are available today at the bookstore for real. So if you, uh, if you haven't got on that list to get a paper book, I encourage you to do so. Meanwhile, as the screen says, you can get an electronic version here just by texting that number. Text the word DISCOVER to 858-500-1105, or go to the bookstore, add your name to the clipboard, we'll print you out a paper book. If you've done so already, your book is ready for you to get at the bookstore today after service. So I encourage you to follow along with us. It's been really encouraging for, for me and for so many others. Uh, also, I would love it if you would come meet me at the, the gazebo, the welcome table there after service, because uh, we're, we're looking for some people to sign up for some of our ministry teams. We, um, you, you've heard me and Pastor Bob talk about the need that we have for a, a hospitality team on a, on a better level than we've done before, a prayer team. We need uh, tech volunteers. If that appeals to any of you, I would encourage you to come and find me at the welcome table, and we can talk about that. Um, now, you know what's coming next. You see it on the screen, and some of you are probably tired of hearing me say it, so maybe you guys should help me make this announcement. Uh, you can also go to the welcome table and sign up for Faith in action, yes. Say it loud so the people at home can hear because they need to know that we're going to meet here at 9.30 on Sunday, March 5th. That's correct. March 5th, Sunday morning, we're going to meet here. We're going to go. Uh, we're going to have a quick group photo. We're going to, start, we're going to, we're going to take communion together. And we're going to be off at our various project sites. And uh, those projects are out at the table. If you, uh, if you haven't seen that, uh, that means you haven't been checking your email, you haven't been listening to me, but you, you got an opportunity today to make that right. I have all the information there. And uh, you said, wait, email? I didn't get an email. You, you didn't get an email because perhaps you haven't filled out a communication card and put your email address on that. So you have an opportunity to do that too. Drop it in the, uh, the offering as you go out the door. Or uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we would love to add you to the, the family. And uh, with our compliments, take that card and give it to the coffee shop and have a free cup of coffee on us. That's it, guys. I'll see you next week. God bless you. What holds your heart? What stirs your soul? What matters comes to mind The cares you keep The thoughts you think It's not all wasted time Seeking you will find Joy still comes in the morning Sweet.